The Utah Jazz season is back, and it is in full swing. Rich and I go over the first game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and look forward to this week's games. Plus, Utah is now atop the South Division. Can they keep it up against Oregon State? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. sports betting partner of the NBA. The key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we've got another big week to recap, a big week to cover that's coming up for both the Jazz and the Utes. Of course, we're always going to start out with the Jazz. We're only one game into the regular season, but it doesn't look like the Jazz are going to be breaking anytime soon. They started full gas against the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, this last Wednesday. Richie, what were your thoughts about opening night for the Utah Jazz? I mean, it was about as good of an opening night as we could have. Uh, I loved that we had the Derek Favors tribute. I thought that meant a lot to Derek Favors. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was honestly the highlight of the game of the game of the night. Um, the game was fine. Um, the Thunder aren't a great team. I bet they'll finish 14th or 15th in the West this year. So it's kind of hard to tell, you know, like how much we've improved. Um, it's also the first game of the season. Um, and so I think there's some added pressure with that. The Jazz shot 29% from three. Um, we shot 44% from the field. Uh, I thought our rebounding was great. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside were great on the glass. I also really liked the way that Boyan Bogdanovich was playing. I thought he showed that he was playing a little bit better. Um, he was doing some things that he usually doesn't do. He had some putbacks. He had some good offensive rebounds. And I think that's what kind of what we're going to need out of guys like him. We're just going to need them to take that next little step to improve just a little bit. Um, Donovan Mitchell did not have a great game. And I think it speaks to how deep this team is when he doesn't have a good game and we still win by 21 points. Um, I mean, really, he, he did not have a good game. He shot horribly. Um, but we just have so many weapons this year. Uh, Clarkson did his thing. He came, comes in off the bench and does his thing instantly. Uh, Conley looked great. And one thing that I was kind of watching was Conley and Gobert in the pick and roll because that was, I feel like, a really big strength for the Jazz last year. And I feel like it's something that we did really well. And I don't think that this gets enough credit is how good that pick and roll is. Um, In the Clippers series, we didn't have Conley those first five games. And so we weren't able to punish the Clippers inside because I don't think anybody's as good at getting to the ball to go bare as Conley is. Um, 
And so we were able to punish the Clippers on offense with Gobert and with the size mismatch. Um, but I think having Conley back and having that connection in their pick and roll, you're instantly able to use Rudy Gobert more in an offensive way. And I think that punishes teams on the offensive end so that they can't go small ball and kind of do what the Clippers did to the Jazz this last year. Um, overall, I mean, there's so many things to be happy about. There's so many things I watched. Um, Jared Butler didn't look great, but it's a first It's a first game. I mean, if you look at rookies around the league, the only rookie that had a good game was Chris Duarte on the Pacers. So I just – I don't think you can really expect him to drop 20 in his first game as a rookie. Um, but I think we're just going to see steady improvement out of this Jazz team. Yeah, all around uh, a really good first game. Obviously, just like in a, a first regular season game back, there's obviously going to be some jitters and some mistakes. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me, again, in terms of mistakes was transition defense. Um, Quinn called a few timeouts, obviously, in frustration because of a few of them. But uh, Boyan Bogdanovich was one that really stood out to me, like you said. It just looked like he was the guy that uh, showed up in 2019 – just a really solid performance from him. He's, he said multiple times that that wrist injury kind of limited his impact on the team last year. And even though at times last year, he had some incredible games, incredible shooting, but again, he was really spotty. He wasn't consistent. And so that's what I'm really excited about moving forward to seeing, can he stay consistent in his scoring moving forward? Because as we see, when Donovan doesn't have a good night and when other players are not shooting, I think Royce O'Neal was like, Oh, for four as well. You know, we have some starters that aren't really performing up to offensive capabilities is it, could it be up to Bogdanovich in the end? Can he help us out? And so far, I mean, it's only one game, but it's looking like he has that ability once again this season. Um, Jared Butler, I think was another, he's just been a topic of conversation ever since he hit the team, because again, people are predicting that he's very well could be the steal of the draft, right? He could make a really good impact on a top three West team as the number 40 pick from this previous draft. Uh, Quinn experienced, or he expressed some, annoyance i guess by some of the press that asked him a question after the game basically about asking jared butler's minutes and what he was going to do for the team and he was basically saying that well we're still figuring that out but he he was saying well we should probably talk about other players as well because i mean again this is butler's first game and he'll be able to figure out eventually looking at just the first game again he had a very rough start do you think that he will have as big of an impact as other bench players, or will he be kind of like that ninth, 10th guy that comes in and relieves some of the other players' duties? It really seems like he's going to be that 10th guy. Um, the way I've kind of viewed Jared Butler in his role is he's going to be the guy that you put in when somebody goes down. And I mean that in the sense that Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley might get injured, Jordan Clarkson might get injured, Joe Ingles might get injured. And so those are our four playmakers. There are four guards, right? Um, and I think eventually two of those guys are getting pretty old. Two of them are young, but um, Donovan Mitchell has had some injuries. And so you're going to be need to, needing to maybe rest these guys. You're going to be needing to um, do whatever you can so that they stay healthy. And I think that's where Jared Butler is going to be really important is he's going to be that guy, the guy who's just the next man up, the guy who, might not play every game, might not see minutes every game, but he's going to be the guy that's ready. And that's what you have to be telling Jared Butler. You have to be saying, okay, Jared, look, um, 
we have a really good guard rotation already as it is. Um, and you're just going to, you're adding depth to it and you're going to be that guy for when somebody goes down. I think kind of last year, Trent Forrest was that guy. And that was evident when Mike Conley, both Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, uh, got injured late in the season and Trent Forrest became that guy. And I think Jared Butler will be asked to play some of those minutes. Um, I do think that he will see minutes most nights though. Um, I think there will be an opportunity for him to play some stretch and it seems like he's kind of taken over Mieoni's role. Cause I feel like we would see Mieoni last year in games for like eight or nine minutes. Um, in game one of this year, Mieoni played two minutes and Jared Butler played nine. So it kind of seems like Jared Butler has moved above Oni in the rotation. And we might be seeing him like seven, eight minutes um, here and there. And I think that can be really valuable, not just to the Jazz's depth, but really you do have to be focusing on developing some of your young guys um, with such a deep and uh, a team that's been a contender for the last couple of years, we haven't really had too much um, room for some of these guys to grow. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been developing. Royce O'Neal has been developing, but now these guys are kind of getting old. They're, uh, they're getting into that end of the first part of their career. And so we kind of, as the jazz organization, you have to be looking at the future and you have to be looking at the guys that might be playing a role in the future. And I think Jared Butler is a part of their plans, uh, both short-term and long-term. So I'm sure that they're, that they're weighing um, how much they want to be developing him and how much he can just instantly fit into the system. And based on that, I think we'll see some decent minutes out of him. Yeah, I just think there's going to be a lot of changes. Um, I think this team will look very different by playoff time than what it looked like at the end of last season. And I'm excited for what the changes will bring. Um, I, I just feel like already in the first game, it had a different energy and vibe. I don't know if you contribute that to the offseason moves that the Jazz made, but I just think that this is also has the potential to be a very special season for Utah. Um, I think another thing to look out for is maybe Rudy Gobert's offensive capabilities this year. Maybe he expands his role, which I'm looking forward to. We were able to see how... Um, he's been able to work on his perimeter defense, and I think his defensive capabilities have ex expanded greatly ever since he joined the league, and the, everyone knows that. I think his next big step as a player is obviously what he can contribute on offense because we know that he's really good at the pick and roll, down low. Um, I, I think one thing to look forward to is seeing if he can improve his ball control down in the paint because that was something that, for me as a fan, was probably a little bit frustrating last season is when he puts the ball down low and he, it seemed like he got it stripped on a lot of possessions. But again, he's also been practicing a shooting. So I'm actually interested to see, will they be able to let Rudy maybe let it fly for the first few games and see if they can expand that? Because if he can even expand it to like a 10-foot jump shot, I think that changes things for the Jazz. Because before, he has like a, a three-foot radius by the rim. And then that's like about his as far as he can go. So if he can expand from how far away he can shoot, I think this season can be very special, especially on offense once again for the Jazz. Um, so this week, again, the Jazz statistically have the easiest schedule out of the entire NBA. And I think this week kind of proves it. I think it's kind of a slow start. So tonight they're going to be um, tipping off against Sacramento on the road. And then they'll be playing against the Nuggets at home on Tuesday. 
And then next Thursday, they'll be playing at Houston. Do you think that the Jazz will be uh, going into our next podcast 4-0? That's a great question. Um, I think the Kings one, the Kings, it's kind of a trap game because the Kings have been so bad for so long. Um, but they really do have some good talent on that roster. I think there are a lot of organizational problems with them. Um, it's like they're not playing Marvin Bagley for some reason this year. I mean, they just drafted him number two like three years ago. Like you got to be playing the guy. You got to be developing him. Um, so I think there's some problems within the Kings. That's why I say it's a trap game because you see all these problems um, both going on the outside of that organization and on the inside, but they still have some really good players. Uh, Darren Fox is an incredible ball handler, incredible playmaker, and he has a motor unlike almost any other player in the NBA. Uh, Buddy Hield has been one of the top five shooters at the last like three seasons in the NBA. Um, and these guys just don't get a lot of credit because the Kings have been so historically bad. So I think it's kind of a trap game. Um, I'm pretty sure the Jazz went 3-0 and against the Kings last year. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of chalking this one up as a W because I think this Jazz team is mentally ready and I think they'll come out firing. Um, looking at the Nuggets game, that's an important game to this Jazz team. I think Rudy Gobert especially takes this game seriously, going against Nikola Jokic, who just had an incredible MVP season and who's not even faced that he won the MVP. He's going into this next season um, probably looking to just be competitive again and to put themselves in a good position for when Jamal Murray comes back. So I think the Nuggets are going to be firing um Aaron Gordon has looked better on their team he's looks like looks like he fits in even better than he did last year and he knows the system better and I think you have to watch out for him Michael Porter Jr. is also I think he's gonna have a breakout year um I mean he's an incredible shooter and he has insane confidence so you just kind of have to really focus on those three guys because when you look at the rest of their roster they don't have that much uh they just have kind of some vets and they have some younger guys or there's just everything in between, but none of their other really other players really stand out. Um, the Rockets are horrible. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> they looked really bad. I watched them go against the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, who finished almost last in, in the Western Conference last year. And granted, the Timberwolves look better than they did last year. The Rockets look really bad. So I'd chalk that one up as a W unless Kevin Porter decides to drop 50 or whatever he did against us last time. Uh, but... We could be looking at next week going 4-0. We easily could win all these games. Yeah, this is going to be, I think, a very competitive West between us, the Lakers, and the Suns. I, I, I know that people are already spotty on the Lakers, which is dumb because it was only one game. And I think it was because Russell had just such a terrible shooting game. And Curry has just been going off, proving in just two games that – he could very well make another MVP run because, boy, oh, boy, that was a crazy game yesterday against the Clippers. Looking at the West, though, I think that, for me, I think it's between the Jazz and the Lakers. I, I think that this Lakers team, if they get it right, they can they can do some special things. Again, you have a lot of seasoned guys that are very talented. A lot of, those, a lot of the guys in their starting rotation made that NBA 75th anniversary list. Um, but I, I just think that especially if the jazz can do well this year, it would mean so much more to beat a team like that. That's basically has a ton of the faces of the league and that are very important players 
if they can get to the top, I think that means a lot more. To you, who do you think is the top of the West and the East in terms of who do you think is going to be that number one seed going into the playoffs? I know it's only a few games in, but. Um, that's a great question. I think in the West, there are five teams that are really competitive. And I'm hesitant to even say five because I don't know how good the Nuggets are going to be. I do think the Warriors got substantially better than they were last year. And I think that they made every offseason move that they could to improve. And pending the return of Klay Thompson could be a really good team. If Klay Thompson comes back like 85% of what he was, I think they'll be really good. If he doesn't, uh, I'd probably put them on the bottom half of the playoff teams in the West. Um, I do like that. I do like the upgrades that they made. Um, so I'd probably have them like four. And then I think I'd have Lakers three and Suns two. I like the some of the offseason moves that the Suns made. I think Landry Shamit gives them depth at the guard position, which they needed in the playoffs last year. Um, I think eventually, I hope not, but it might happen. I kind of am getting the sense that Chris Paul might get an injury this year. I mean, he had some injuries in the playoffs that he played through, and it just kind of seems like he's been so durable for so long that it's not going to last anymore. But I don't know. That's the same thing we've said about LeBron for so long. Um, and so I, I don't know. Um, I think pending a, if a Chris Paul gets injured, that Suns still could very well finish second or third in the West. Um, this Lakers team is really confusing. I think it's a hard team to get a grip on just the way that they're built, built the players that they're going to play. And right now I think they have uh, Trevor Reza out. They have Taylor Horton Tucker out uh, two guys who they were hoping would play really good perimeter defense for them. Um, So it's kind of hard to look at this Lakers team and get an idea of what they're going to be like. Um, Russell Westbrook, the last couple of seasons has started the season really bad, has figured it out in the middle of the season and finish strong and then by the playoffs it's pretty much over again and I kind of think that's going to be what's what happens for the Lakers I think right now we're all going to be like okay this Lakers team it's not going to work Russell Westbrook is done he's washed and then in the middle middle of the season we're gonna be like okay what Russell Westbrook looks really good on this Lakers team they're looking really good they're making a good spot to they're making a good case to be number one or two in the west and then by the playoffs you're going to be like Oh, okay. That's why we thought that at the at the end of, at the beginning of the year. That's why we thought they wouldn't work. Um, I just don't know how sustainable the Lakers are going to be, and I don't picture them finishing the season or getting into the playoffs and being really dominant like like LeBron has been dominant in years past. Um, I think also a lot of that pen is based on Anthony Davis's outside shooting and how willing they are to make him a center. Because if they can go two shooters, Anthony Davis, LeBron, and Russell Westbrook, that's a really solid lineup. Um, but you kind of lose some defense. And it seems like they want to play DeAndre Jordan at center or Dwight Howard. And I think that works at times. But I really think the Lakers are going to reach their potential if they put Anthony Davis at center. Um, and lastly, I, I just think the Jazz are the most well-built team to finish number one. I think we made every great decision we could make in this offseason to put ourselves in a position where we have momentum going into this season, where we feel like we've improved as a team, where we have something to prove. 
this entire year. We have to prove that, okay, that one year wasn't just a fluke, that we're going to be good in this regular season too, and we're going to put ourselves in a good position where we can succeed next year as well and where we can succeed in the playoffs more importantly. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the focus is going to be. And because of that, I think the Jazz are just going to kind of dominate this entire season. Um, a lot of people have projected them being like a 60-win team. And I think that's a pretty fair project, projection. We were on pace to be a 63-win like three win team last year. Um, looking at the East, the Nets are good, man. I know they lost opening night against the Bucks, and the Bucks look even better than they did last year. But the Nets are good. I don't think I'd take them out of the first place spot, even with Kyrie Irving not playing. Because I think Patty Mills, who, by the way, went 7 of 7 for 3 against the Bucks, I think Patty Mills can fill in that role and be a great scorer. And I think they're going to figure out how to use him. And they have defense on their bench. They have, um, honestly, they're a really deep team. And they're just built to be successful. So if Harden and KD stay healthy the entire season, then I think Nets finish first and Bucks are right behind them. I think the Nets and Bucks rivalry that is kind of brewing these last two seasons is phenomenal. Like I know that it's like a stigma and I feel like it's kind of true that the, the East is a lot less competitive than it is in the West. But I think that those top two teams, that's some of the best basketball. That opening night game was amazing. I absolutely loved it. And you look at the West I love how you brought up the Warriors. I think they do have the potential to be a top three team in the West. I, I honestly do. If they can, if when, once Clay comes back, they can be a team that can perform up to their capabilities. They have offensive firepower that is unlike any other. Um, I, I, I'm very interested to see how the season goes. I, I'm very excited for the NBA. I think this is going to be another really great season. I think we're going to see a lot of different teams step up. So we'll see how things go. Of course, though, I think the big conversation coming into this week has to be about Utah football, though. That was a crazy win this last Saturday against the Sun Devils. Uh, so Utah plays number 18 ASU at home, and these are the last two undefeated teams. It's at Rice-Eccles Stadium, and Utah goes into the locker room down 21-7 at halftime. ASU just looked offensively dominant, and the defense couldn't really stop them. So... Here's what happens, at least in my opinion. Cam Rising and that offensive line just absolutely take over. The defense, I felt, just wasn't – they were okay. I just felt like they stepped up at plays when it mattered, which was typically third-down conversions. It, it, they didn't do great. But I think they really stepped up their game in the fourth quarter, and Cam Rising was able to make some great throws. The offensive line just absolutely dominated. It was the physicality on both sides of the ball that really just won them that game. Utah answered with 28 unanswered points and won that game – 35 to 21 Utah now has complete control of the South, which three weeks ago, I would not have predicted that in the slightest. And so now they're going to face Oregon state who is tied with Oregon or they're up with Oregon at the top of the North. So again, this is another crucial game for both teams, but first let's recap that game last Saturday, Richie, what were your initial thoughts after that game? Because I think that was probably one of the best games I've ever been to at Rice stadium. I think that game was so fun, man. Uh, I don't I don't even know where to start. I think that was the best second half, or honestly just the best half of Utah football that I've ever witnessed. Um, you know, 28 unanswered points. Our defense looked solid. 
our offense looked even better than our defense did. Um, also, I got I got to give you a shout out, man, because last week you said Brant Keithy for player of the game. And I know he didn't win player of the game, but his two touchdowns were critical. They were so important in that second half. Um, I, I think he finished with three receptions and two of them were touchdowns. So you got exactly what you needed from him. Um, Cameron Rising has been incredible these last couple of weeks. Um, he's thrown for 690 yards and five touchdowns in the last three weeks. Um, and he's completed 66% of his pass attempts against Pac-12 opponents. So he's looking incredible. He has the number two QBR in the entire nation right now. Um, I don't think we could be asking more from a quarterback than we have been from Cameron Rising. And he has absolutely rised to the challenge. This Utah team has handled adversity so well. I don't think I've ever seen a team that handles adversity the way that they do. Um, and that's both on the field and off the field. And I think really what's happened off the field has translated on the field. Um, in our last three home games at Rice-Eccles, we've gone into halftime um, losing. And we've come out of all three of those games and we've won all three of them. And so I think that's really important and that really sets a tone that, okay, this, football isn't just a one-half game. It doesn't matter where you're at as long as you're trying uh, to get, I don't know, to win the game. You know, you just got to have the pers that perspective. And I think Cam Rising has been such a good leader and has shown everybody um, exactly what to do um, and the exact mindset that they need to have. I also think our running backs were great that game. Uh, Tavian Thomas seemed like he just tired – the um the Arizona State defense out and he looked great and I feel like he eventually got tired himself and we put in Pledger and Pledger scored a touchdown so that's what you love to see um you, you love to see that just one of these guys might get tired and you can just put another guy in and he'll instantly do something amazing and that speaks to the depth of our RB room um I thought Devon Vele was also great he looks like such a stud he looks like our best receiver um I'm kind of curious what this Utah team would look like with Ennis out there too. Um, because Ennis hasn't been in the last two weeks and I think Ennis is a weapon as well and he can make a lot of plays, but honestly, just the Utah offense has looked so good. I think we'll, we'll still have our struggles, you know, here and there, but ultimately I think we figure everything out by the end of each game. I think that the offense the offense has been so dominant that ever since we switched our kickers, I've wanted to see how Jordan Noyes would kick. But ever since he's become the starter, we've been so good, he hasn't had to kick a field goal yet. And know, when, before, when was the last field goal we had to take? I think Washington State. But I don't know if we I don't know if we made one in that game. No, we yeah, we did. Washington State was the last game we made a field goal in. Um but yeah, that was just I I just think that shows such a difference that I think Cam Rising has sparked in the offense because before that we were one of the worst red zone offenses in the country. And I think since then that we've been able to turn that around and turn our drives into touchdowns. Again, I think that game, it doesn't really stick out to you because there weren't really any explosive plays on both sides. Really the only one I could think of was the one where the ASU player caught like a slant route and like almost went down and then got ran all the way down to the two yard line that set themselves up for a touchdown. But what Utah did in the second half was just do super long drives uh, cut down the time and just run it down their throats and then just have easy touchdown passes or runs at the end. And so 
I think that's the kind of offense that Whittingham wants to run. It was like you said, it was just a perfect half of football. They did exactly what they needed to do. I've never seen Whittingham that stoked after a game either. That was crazy. He was like up on the player's shoulders in the locker room. He was having the time of his life cracking jokes. I, I think what you noted too about the adversity as well is something that needs to be taken into account. This team, if if they have such a special season, this is looking to be a Disney Plus movie in a few years. I'm just saying that they've gone through so much stuff off the field, crazy dramatic things with Charlie Brewer, this this tragic passing of Aaron Lowe, and starting off non-conference play one and two, and then now you're at the top of the South. This is a team that has a similar feel, and I said this probably a month ago, has a similar feel to the 2016 USC team that started out, I think, one and three, two and four, something like that, and then went on to win the Pac-12 and then go on to the Rose Bowl. Two ESPN analysts now have picked Utah to go to the Rose Bowl again, which is crazy because, again, number 10 Oregon is still in our conference. But week by week, they're looking shakier and shakier, not as sure about themselves. Oregon has a big game coming up against UCLA tomorrow as well, which has huge implications for Utah in terms of if UCLA gets that win, then next week's game against UCLA is that much bigger than the ASU one. Um I'm very interested to see what happens um, in the Pac-12. I don't know. I, I just think that every there's a lot of teams, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, ASU, and UCLA, all have the capability to win the conference. Again, we're kind of like a cannibalist conference in terms of everyone beats up on each other. But Utah is in such a really good position right now, and that makes tomorrow's game that much more important. So looking forward to tomorrow's game against the Beavers what do you want to see out of Utah or continue to see out of Utah? And what are you looking for in terms of to stop what Oregon State usually does? What do we need to do to stop from what they usually do? Oregon State has been better this year than they've been in a lot of past years. They're probably the second best team in the North, in the Pac-12 North. Um, and honestly, like you look at the games that they've won and they've been looking like a good team. Uh, they lost their first game to Purdue and then they beat Hawaii, and then they lost, They beat Idaho, they beat USC, who Utah just had a great game against. Um, they beat Washington, and then they lost to Washington State, who Utah's beat. So it's kind of hard to figure out where this Oregon State team is at just based on who they've lost to and who they've beat because they've kind of they've had some upsets, but they've also been upset. And so it feels like they're just like right there, right in the middle. But Oregon State, they have – a lot of threats. Um, one guy to watch is BJ Baylor. Uh, he's their running back and he's been pretty great this year. He's actually leading the pack 12 with 112.8 rushing yards per game. Um, and nine, he has nine rushing touchdowns. So I think he's a guy to really keep an eye on. Um, the good thing is Utah has a really good secondary and Utah's defensive line finished that game against Arizona state really well with a lot of momentum. And so I think the key is just to build off of your momentum. Um, I think pretty much at every position group, there were significant improvements from the first half of that Utah game to the second half. And so you kind of just have to treat this game as another half and just build on that. Um, and I think that's going to be what ultimately leads Utah to success. Um, I think it's, yeah, the, the the Oregon State quarterback, Chance Nolan, isn't the greatest quarterback in the conference. Um, he's completed 44% of his past attempts. He's thrown for uh, 100, he threw for 150 yards 
against uh, Washington State. And Washington State has a pretty decent defense, as we as Utah fans know. Um, so I'm expecting our secondary um, to have a big game against their quarterback. Ultimately, I think what it's going to come down to is stopping their run game. I think if we can stop their run game, we'll be fine. Um, but, I mean, they have they have a couple of really good running backs, and uh, you, you got to keep an eye on that. Um, looking at our offensive side when we have the ball, I think kind of just what I was saying, we just have to build off of our momentum. Uh, Rising played such an incredible second half. His, tar- his passes were all on target. Um, he got it to pretty much every receiver, got it to all of our running backs. And I think you just have to use all of your weapons and come out of the game with come into the game with the mentality of just dominating and playing as good as you've played the last three games. I think if rising starts that way, that this game might not be very close. Um, But kind of what we've seen as good as cam rising has been is he has kind of struggled to start some games and he takes a little, little minute to, to get into this groove. So I'm just, I'm expecting Cam Rising to come out of this game, to come into this game firing and really to just be ready and get all of his weapons the ball. And I mean, you don't need to make any big plays. We saw against Arizona State, you don't need to make these huge plays. You don't need to make 60 yard throws. You just got to get, do the little things, take your time on the drive, make the right decisions, and it'll work and you'll get the touchdowns. Yeah, tomorrow is going to be a very interesting game. Weather can is going to play a factor as it's probably going to be raining, which means that, again, it's probably going to be a run-heavy game. And Oregon State's offense and Utah offense are very similar in how they work. And you dominate the run game, and then that opens up play action and pass plays. And, of course, now that the offensive line has been able to work these past three weeks, Utah has been able to pass the ball very well, and I think that's been able to open up a lot of options for Cam Rising. Um, I, th- I think they do have to come out firing. And I think that's kind of what scares me just a little bit is, is when teams get on a, a high, obviously it's going to come down at one point, but you just have to hope that they can continue to ride what they're doing. And I think that Utah does that tomorrow against Oregon state. This is a very different Oregon state team than what Utah has faced in the past half decade, because usually Oregon state is the bottom of the conference, but head coach Jonathan Smith has been able to just boost that program around and now they're in competition to win the North because like I said before, there's only a few teams in each division that basically even still have a shot at winning the division. And Oregon state is one of those teams in the North. And I think even more so this year, that civil war up with Oregon is going to be such an exciting game at the end of the year, because I think it's now actually going to have conference implications. Um, some big news that did come out of the PAC 12 uh, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klebikoff said that they're considering getting rid of divisions in the future and just having the two best teams play each other in the Pac-12 championship game. This has sparked some controversy, but I, I think the main reason that they did this was obviously because they wanted to increase their playoff chances. Because if you have a team that's as competitive as the South, where usually the winner is coming out with maybe two or even three losses in the conference, and then you have a team usually like Oregon or Washington in the past, who is a one one loss team or maybe even an undefeated, they still have the possibility of losing to that three loss team and it kicks them out of the playoff. And so they're thinking that, well, if we just have the top two teams, then both of those teams will probably be maybe a one loss team and an undefeated team. And so it doesn't really um, destroy their chances of going to the playoff in the future. Do you agree with uh, 
dissolving the divisions in the Pac-12 conference, or do you think that they should keep them in the future? I think my instant reaction is what would the schedule look like for each team? Um, I'd be kind of curious to see how often you're playing teams because it's like Utah right now, we, I don't think we play Stanford this year. I don't think we play Washington this year. So would that change? Would we start playing those teams every year or how would they decide that? Um, And I'm sure they're they're figuring that out. Uh, So that's kind of my, where my initial thought goes. I do think as far as increasing our odds to get into the college football playoff, that's important. And that's something that the Pac-12 should be worrying about because we are a P5 conference, but we haven't had a lot of teams in like the last 20 years get into the um, get into the college football playoffs or as long as they've been doing the college football playoff. So I do think that is something that they should be talking about. However, you kind of have to look at this big picture and you have to look at where the college football playoff is going and with possible expansion rumors. Um, I think if they are expanding, then it's kind of like, okay, then what's the point of the PAC 12 um, making schedule changes? And what's the point of getting rid of divisions? If the college football playoff is automatically going to include one P five team from each conference. Um, so I just, I think I'm sure they're weighing all their options. Um, ultimately, trust the commissioner i think he's done a good job in his short tenure so far and i think he'll continue to do what's best for the conference so that the conference can be the most successful it can be um but i don't know i'm really curious to see what they end up doing i think there's pros and cons to either side yeah i think that getting rid of divisions would be beneficial if it was going to stay as a as a four-team playoff but obviously that's looking like that's not going to be the case and it's most likely going to be a 12-team playoff in the near future the divisions, I I understand where it comes from because, again, it's sometimes frustrating, especially as a Utah fan, being in the South Division, to see a team that you know you definitely could have beat or that you did beat go to the championship um, just because of some weird tiebreakers. And, again, they're just – maybe they even had a worse record than you. And so I, I can understand how that is frustrating. But I think now with that expansion, it's wide open for every conference, and I think that the way that they're going to organize it will make the door open every year for the Pac-12 and that in terms of it will it will never close for the champion. I think that if you're a champion of a Power 5 team, a Power 5 conference come playoff time when there are a lot more than four teams, I think you obviously have a spot and have heavy consideration to be in that playoff no matter where you're at. So again, I agree with you. I think I see both sides to the story. I think it'll be interesting to see how they explain moving about this. But that's another thing to look at. I think the Pac-12 is really looking to change. And again, George Klevikoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, has been saying that the two big money getters are football and men's basketball. And those are two things in the conference that have just been struggling, really, because the Pac-12 is really good at like all of the Olympic sports. It's not even close. But when you get to the two money getters, that's where the Pac-12 struggles. So it'll be interesting to see how he keeps trying to change uh, the conference as a whole by working with these two sports programs. But a lot of a lot of really exciting things for the future. So going back to Utah, it's prediction time. All right. We got Utah and Oregon State, big game. What do you think the final score will be? And who is your game ball winner? Great question. Um, thinking about it, because of the weather, I think it's gonna be a dirty game. I think it's gonna be a battle of the trenches. 
And for that reason, I think it's going to be a close game too. Because Oregon State, I mean, they're not a bad team. They're a good team. Uh, like you said, they're putting themselves in a position to be a contender in the Pac-12 North. So I think you have to look at that. And honestly, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to be a close game. I'm betting on my Utes to win it. I'm going Utah 31, Oregon State 24. That's my final prediction. And I think game ball is going to go to Tavian Thomas, who's going to run for 200-plus yards. I had a very, very similar prediction. I think the game ball also goes to Tavion Thomas. I think he's going to get two scores, and he's going to have one really big run. That's not going to be a touchdown, but it's going to set us up for one. So look out for that tomorrow. I'm going to say the final score is going to be 34-28, and I think it's going to come down to a defensive stand at the end to stop a potential Oregon State game-winning drive. But that's going to be a big game tomorrow. I think another big game is also Oregon and UCLA. And it's been back and back and forth between who's going to win this one, which is interesting because UCLA unranked Oregon's number 10. This is where college game day is going. For me, I it's, it's beneficial for Oregon to win this one in terms of helping Utah out because, but again, if UCLA wins, that game is going to be freaking awesome going into next week. So for me, I, as much as I like Oregon to win, I, for some reason, I think UCLA is going to pull it off. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I think they might pull it off. It's going to be a home game. Like I said, college game is going to be there. I think UCLA pulls that one off. I think it's going to be such a good game though. I think it's going to be very close. Have you ever thought, have you thought about the UCLA Oregon game coming up tomorrow afternoon? Uh, I haven't looked too much into it. College game day though. It's exciting. Um, I think it's a high pressure game. And like you said earlier, um, if UCLA comes out of that game on top, then that game against UCLA and Utah next week is going to be that much more important. Um, I'm kind of betting on Oregon, though. I mean, as much as they've had struggles and they have kind of regressed throughout the season, I, do, I still think that they have a lot of good stuff going on there. And I think they're such a physical team. They're, they haven't been dominant this year. Like, you look at their scores, they haven't won every game by a lot but they've won games and so, and they've done it just the dirty and the gritty way. So I think they're going to come out on top. UCLA's offense has been firing though. They're fun to watch. Um, but I think it's going to be a fun game. I'm right there with you. Any final thoughts for us? Um, actually, I'm really excited for this BYU Washington state game. Cougars versus the Cougars. Um, it's a trap game for BYU. Washington state just lost their head coach, but Washington state's not a bad team. They've got momentum going into that game, and BYU doesn't. So I'm excited for that game. Uh, yeah, the the players are saying they want to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. It's a battle of the Cougars. <laughs> Tomorrow, though, the players said they want the place packed. They're looking to get that win, and a lot of people are thinking this could be something that bonds them together. I don't think it's a long-term uh, pro for Washington State, but this could help them in this game alone against BYU. So that is an interesting game. We're going to see how that one goes for but we will see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Rich and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you next week.